Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Dad, we love you because, um, because you're amazing. I mean, there's no one who compares to you, no one who can do the things you can do, and no one who has done the things that you have done for us. You know, when I think about Jesus leaving the creature comforts of heaven to come and die for us on a cross and then to resurrect, to, to solidify that victory that, yes, we have salvation on his account, I, I'm left in awe of that. I thank you because on top of that, I know that, that your spirit is in each and every one of us here today. Um, and he's with us all the time. And, and I praise you and I thank you for that, church. I thank you that that you are working in our lives and that through your word, we have a hotline to you. And as we dive into your word, I pray that it is you who is speaking. Um, This is not about any one of us. This is about you. And I pray that you take hold of the conversation that we're about to have right now. Guide this time, bless this time, and and may, may, may bring glory to you. And I pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, just a couple things really quick. Um, I love Joel, as you guys know, but my style of teaching is a little different than his. Um, just a little different uh, in the sense that there's a couple things going on. First of all, because my phone and the chatting and the technology, it, it, it's a bit more limiting. And, and while I appreciate that Sandy's going to be handling a lot of the uh, logistics, so to speak, I, I, it's difficult for me. So I'm I, It'll be uh, what I encourage everybody to do is when you guys make comments, put it for everyone on the chat. Um, and then my style is like a little different than Joel's in the sense that I tend to do more of a lecture style where I'll pretty much go the whole way through. And then maybe we can deal with your guys' questions or comments at the end, if it's okay with you guys. Um, it's just more of a stylistic issue. And uh, it's just kind of, kind of make, it will make it a little easier for me to, to do this. Um, and if, if it's okay with everybody, all right? Um, with that, we're going to start off and, uh, got my little checklist here of the things that we need to do as we go along. So, um, so yeah, please put all the comments in, in the chats and then, you know, towards the end of the class, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try to, 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 to work with them. Okay. All right. So that said, um, we're going to, we're going to j- dive right into the lesson. So, um. With that, we're, we're going to be doing the book of Jude. I, I call it the book of Jude. Really, I should call it the page of Jude. It's really a, a one-pager. It's that page that gets lost when, you're, when you get to rev, going towards Revelation. Everybody misses it. People don't even know that the book of Jude is in the Bible because it's that one page long. And we're going to dive into the book of Jude. So what we're going to do is I'm going to start off by reading it, and then we're going to unpack it afterwards, okay? And it goes like this in the NIV. Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those... And no matter the city... Uh, you somehow muted yourself. We lost your audio. How's that? All right, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm on verse four. Better. All right. For certain individuals whose condemnation, whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. 
They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ for our, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their position of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example for those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand and the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds with rain blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of, of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from, a, from Adam, prophesies about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed. In their ungodliness and of all defiant words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember the, what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do, and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in, in, your holy, in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. All right. So, Jude, first word in our, in our, in our letter. Who is Jude? Um, what do we know about Jude? Um, in, in the in text, he identifies himself as a slave to Jesus, um, which basically shows us his humility. Um, he also identifies himself as the brother of James. Um, 
The second identification really helps to narrow the field. Um, Jude, uh, just for those of you guys who don't know, Judas basically the English name or the English variation of the name Judas in the Greek, which is Judah in Hebrew. And it's a very common name that the Jews, uh, for obvious reasons, gave their kids. Um, at least eight Judas appear in the New Testament alone. Um, in the first century uh, record by, his, by the historian Josephus, there are references to 15 distinct and prominent Judases of back then. So one of the things we know, it's not Jude the apostle because verse 17 refers to other apostles and the author of this particular letter does not refer to himself as an apostle. Uh, and also the other thing is that the other Jude and James mentioned is a father and son team. Uh, this Jude and James are brothers. So again, the reference to James here is very key because the only James that it could possibly be after you know, doing uh, the due diligence is it has to be James the Just, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, um, as we saw in Acts chapter 12, and uh, he plays a big role in Acts chapter 15. This is the same James that is the half-brother of Jesus. In fact, he's the oldest of the half-brothers of Jesus. Um, both James and, and, and Jude are mentioned in the Gospels. Uh, in Matthew 13, 55, they are mentioned specifically, and in Mark 6, 3 as well. And in both lists, James is listed at the top of the list, generally a reference that he, he could very well be the eldest of them all, plus the fact that he was the leader of the Jerusalem church. Uh, and Jude may be the youngest. We don't know because in the both lists that name have on one, he's last on the list. In the other one, he's next to last on the list. So I think the safe assumption there is that he's one of the youngest brothers. Let's say he's Jesus's baby brother. Um, in John chapter seven, verses one through 15, and in Mark three twenty one, Jesus's siblings and relatives did not believe in him during his earthly ministry. Uh, in fact, in John chapter seven, uh, this, that incident takes place about eight months before the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And um, so it's very important to keep that in mind. But by Acts chapter one, verses 13 and 14, just prior to, to Pentecost, uh, there they're mentioned again as a group. And, but the nice thing now is that now they're all believers. Now they're not only are they believers, but they're an active part of the original church and, and they're part of that faith community. In fact, 1 Corinthians 9, 5 says that they were active in ministry. Um, and going back to the fact that uh, Jude and James actually referred to themselves as slaves of Jesus, I think that anybody calling themselves a slave of Jesus is proper and is humble. But when you think about the fact that these guys are Jesus's brothers and they're not like name dropping, yeah, well, I'm Jude, you know, Jesus's brother. Yeah, that Jesus. I think that really highlights the humility of these guys as they wrote these letters to the churches. Um, so we now know who the from is. And that's Jude, the brother of Jesus. Uh, I might shift because uh, in doing this so much, I might call him Jude, Judas, or Judah. You know, I'll ask you guys to forgive me in advance. Um, but yes, it is the same person I'll be referring to. Uh, the two are, first of all, in verse uh, one, it says, to those who have been called. Called is generally a word that is used when we're talking about predestination. So the called are to save by predestination. Now, an interesting thing here is that uh, that phrase, to those who have been called, that exact wording in the Greek only appears one other time in the Bible. And um, let me see, did I get this right? And yes, it happens in 1 Corinthians 1.24. And it's Paul talk, talking to the called, but he makes mention of both 
Jews and Gentiles. However, one of the things that we're gonna keep in mind here is that while it can apply to everybody, the primary audience here is the Jews, primarily the Christian Jews, okay? And the reason we know it's the Jews primarily is simply because as we read, you saw that all the Old Testament references, uh, a Gentile would not be familiar with them per se. And um, the, the way they're spoken of is like, it's spoken like, when I say to you guys, let's talk about Jesus's death and resurrection, I'm assuming that you guys already know about Jesus. So it's kind of in the same way that whoever, that Jude, as he writes this, he's assuming that his audience gets the references. And this is very key because um, Jude is one of those very interesting, unique books in the Bible in that uh, it actually cites sources outside of the Bible, okay? So um, with that um, going on, so we see the standard greeting here for verses one and two, where the, the, uh, the author identifies himself, and, uh, but the only other book that doesn't really do that is Hebrews. Uh, but Hebrews is also another unique book in, in different regards. Uh, but here in Jude, um, he identifies himself and he identifies his audience. And as always, there's the usual greeting of mercy, peace, and love. And actually, I want to kind of backtrack here a little bit, is that as standard as it may seem, the truth is it's actually, it, it's also unique. Um, usually they do not say mercy. They, they usually use grace. Um, but mercy and grace are the flip sides of each other. Mercy, grace is God uh, not treating us as, as God, I'm sorry, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And mercy is God not treating us as we do deserve. So interestingly enough, he decides to go with mercy here instead of grace. Peace is standard, shalom, um, obviously the Jewish audience. But here's something that's also unique. No other salutation in any of the epistles actually uses love. So he uses a, a, a pretty interesting, interesting formulation here of including love in the sequence. Um, now, verses three and four, here's where we get real, real traction. Here's like, if you will, this is where we get our, our thesis statement coming from. But I like the way he starts it off, though. In verse three, it says, dear friends, and, and right there, he's talking to Christians. Now, like I said, primarily the Jewish Christians, but really to all Christians of all times. Um, and I like this because this shows a tenderness, I mean, a very pastoral care that Jude has for, for the people that he's ministering to. You know, and, and I also like what, what follows this is, is very key here. He says that he had a desire to write about a different thing. Like his intent to, when he was going to the publisher was not to write about what he ended up writing about. He wanted to write about the salvation that is common to all of us. Kind of a, a very nice, positive, non-confrontational topic. But again, led by the spirit. And again, it's the question of our wills versus God's will. While Jude wanted to write about salvation, God's spirit directed him to address a more immediate concern that was going on. And, and the, the, the thesis of the book, to the main thrust of the book is contend for the faith. This, this idea of contending for the faith means that, that we're basically kind of in, 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 in a fight. It's intense. We're in a wrestling match for the faith. Okay, We need to defend the faith. Um, how's this difference from 1 Peter 3.15 where it talks about providing a defense for the gospel, it's different because in First Peter three fifteen, that defense that Peter's talking about, the rational defenses for the Christian faith, it's really for outside of the church. But here, it's to defend from within the church. Here's the thing about it: this is not just for the clergy. This is not for staffers. Okay, this is for all Christians to defend. Um, let me. And here's a very interesting point: heresy does not happen outside of the church. 
It happens inside the church. The place to guard for heresies is within the church itself. The danger here is from the false teachers. And this is what he's going to be hammering as we continue through this book. Um, he describes them here in this part as ungodly. That means that they're living, they're openly living in sin uh, as if there was nothing wrong with it. They pervert grace. You know, they, they take the freedom of grace in the opposite direction. See, the idea of grace being freeing and liberating is that grace is freedom from sin. It is not freedom to sin. Okay, it is from sin, not to sin. And these guys were, were perverting the grace of God. Uh, there's also the denial of Jesus as, as God and Lord. And, and, and that's not the Christian Jesus then. Because if, that, if Jesus is not God and Lord, that's not the Christian Jesus. That's not the saving Jesus either. Uh, going back to the start of verse four, those individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago. First of all, it tells us that they too are predestined for hell and they were already in the church, okay? Uh, also, let's put uh, we're going to put a pin on this, and we're going to come back to that this idea of uh, um, long ago, okay? Uh, so with that, when we when we get to verses fourteen and fifteen, moving down to verses five through seven, uh, it gives us a list of Old Testament incidents, and it's a very interesting list. And and, and I'm not a hundred percent sure why those per se. Uh, I've read a lot of things, and nothing really kind of convinced me. But there are there are some there are some takeaways from them. Uh, with the Exodus, uh, the wilderness wanderings, they're, they're, uh, what happens is that they get punished, the the unbelievers, and basically it's it, it's it's a cycle of unbelief, idolatry, and disobedience. Okay. Um, and for the other one about the the angels that it makes reference to there. Um, generally, a lot of people will say that it's probably the Genesis six incident where angels have sex with humans, and this would be a case of rebellion and sexual immorality. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about that because I'm not 100% sure that that's the actual meaning of, of, of the sons of God in, in Genesis chapter six. I mean, it's interesting and it could be, but I'm not, I don't know for sure. Uh, the other possibility that was proposed is angels, basically the original fall from, from heaven, um, and, 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 and that one can work, too, because, again, it's, it's, it's the thing about rebellion against God and active and open rebellion against God. Um, going back to the thing about the uh, Genesis 6 and uh, the angels having sex with, with the humans, um, in the first century Palestine, angel worship was a problem. So it could very well be that. Like I said, I don't know for certain, and I'm, I'm still reading up on that, but I thought it was worth noting and mentioning so that we, at least you guys understand um, the possible interpretation for it. Uh, and then the third one, it's pretty much a, a very obvious one, Sodom and Gomorrah. And definitely the big problem there is, is sexual immorality. Um, all three of these display uh, two key things. First of all, there's a need for separation between the saved and the unsaved. If you think about Israel and the wilderness wanderings, there was the Israel that was going to die in the wilderness, in other words, the unsaved ones. And then there is the Israel that was going to make it into the promised land. Okay, kind of like in the church, we, we got saved and unsaved mixed in there. Um, uh, the other thing is that, and this is the thing that we need to have assurance is that these false teachers, because that's what they basically are, it, they're going to be punished in hell. And, and this is not my words, these are Jude's words. I mean, very much like his brother Jesus, he goes, he, he goes right at it. He, he does not miss words. Uh, wicked living is the fast lane to hell. Okay, uh, so there's your highway to hell right there. And in verses 8 through 11, we have um, we have a um, we have a 
very, and he, he just keeps on going with, with listing of, of things that are wicked. Some people like to justify their wickedness on, on personal, highly subjective visions and dreams. Um, that's, and that's just not the gospel. In fact, in Galatians 1, 9, one of the things that Paul says is that, no, it, you know, nobody can come to you with a different gospel. He even says, if angels come to you with a different gospel, this kind of makes me think of the story of the Mormons, because uh, Joseph Smith saying that the angel, uh, was it Moroni, that, that went to him and told him that to write what he wrote. Uh, so the idea of like even an angel, and Paul using very strong language, I mean, in the context of uh, Galatians 1, 6 through 9, he says, even if I came to you with a different gospel, in other words, you don't change the gospel. A dream, a vision, it's not going to cut it. It's not going to justify any of the unwickedness that we do afterwards. And then he talks about the ungodly pollute the bodies. And obviously, this is a reference to sexual immorality. Okay. Um, he's talking here about rejecting authority. Again, rebellion and disobedience. And then the heap abuse on celestial beings. Now, this is a very interesting and controversial part. Uh, this is one of those parts where where Jude is quoting from these apocryphal books. These are the books that, if you will, they didn't make the cut. They were good books, but they were recognized even early on, even pre-Christian, that this is not divinely inspired word of God. It was not a part of the Tanakh, okay? It was just a book that they read outside of the Tanakh. So it has some good stuff in it, as do most of the apocryphal books. But it doesn't mean, the thing is, it's, it's just not God's word. It, didn't, it just didn't pass the test. Um, so the thing is, the interesting thing is that he quotes from a book that is not part of the Bible, and it's called The Assumption of Moses. Now, um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. In Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 and 6, God buries Moses, and it's an interesting story because it basically says that God buries Moses, and no human knows where, okay? And I think the idea is mostly that he didn't want Moses' bones to become an, an object of worship or idolatry. Okay, now in the Assumption of Moses, when Mike, it tells the story of Michael the Archangel. Now I'm gonna say this too, an Archangel is the highest ranking angel in their understanding, okay? So when Michael the Archangel is confronting the devil, okay, the fallen angel, but who used to be top dog in heaven, over Moses' remains, Michael basically hands the matter over to God. What it seems to be saying here in this reference is that it seems that Michael did knew that there was something here that he didn't quite get and since angels are not omniscient they're not he just gave it over to god he says god rebuke you you know so he let, basically leaves it in god's hand so as verse 10 goes on to explain false teachers often slander what they don't understand uh, things like uh, well jesus can't be god or jesus wasn't human or, or, or whatever you know whatever tenet of the faith that we have and they don't get you know well the virgin birth i mean how, how's that work? You know, they obviously they, they slander what they don't get. And then they, they start calling it, you know, they start calling Christians ignorant. They start saying that we're anti-intellectual, uneducated. We, we've all heard it before. Okay. Um, so he, he hammers these guys for doing that. Um, in verse 11, he, he, he gives a woe there. Um, here's the thing with the woe. Woes are always to be taken serious and they're never good. You guys remember the seven woes from Jesus and Matthew chapter 23, you'll see they're not good things. Okay, so he goes on to list uh, three le leading woe figures, I'm going to call them. You know how we got woe figures these days? Well, we got the woe figures here. Okay, the woe figures, number one, of course, right off the bat, Cain. Cain, who, who um, as I was doing some research, turns out that he's reviled by a lot of cultures, 
in, in ancient times. But among the leading things about Cain is characteristics of him. He's envious. He's murderous. And he's rebellious. Uh, Balaam, the false prophet. Okay, what was he motivated by? He was, they Basically, he worked for whoever was the highest bidder. Guy was motivated by greed. Uh, Korath rebellion. Remember that? Where in numbers, um, this this is a vicious person, and and he, he caused a major division in the in the wilderness people of Israel, causing the death of many along the way. So Jude just keeps on hammering on what the false teachers do, and these are the kinds of things that the false teachers do. They're rebellious, they're envious, greedy, and they're divisive among other things. They're slanderous, as we saw earlier. We'll, we'll discuss the um, more about the assumption of Moses. Um, later in, in the conversation, um, in verses 12 and 13, he, he continues hitting the false teachers, and, and they just <laughs> the hits keep on coming. So we've got a list of six more here. Uh, so he talks about them as infiltrators. He calls them blemishes. Now, when, what, this uh, term blemishes can also be translated as hidden reefs. And when you think about hidden reefs, they're in the water, and they're not really seen until you're too close to them. And by that time, the closer you get, they're dangerous, and then they're going to be destructive. Uh, it says that they're also self-interested. They only care for themselves. These are bad shepherds, it says, who only feed themselves, okay? So they don't care about anybody else. They're clouds without rain. So clouds without rain. Basically, they have no substance. They got nothing to offer that benefits anybody. And they're constantly changing because it says that the winds blow them about, okay? Uh, so there's no stability there. They're autumn trees, and, and, and it says that they're, they're, number one, autumn trees with, with no fruit, and they're uprooted. So it's like, and it, and it uses the word there, doubly dead, or the, depending on the translation you have, twice dead. And this, this, uh, this they, 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 these people, these false teachers are going to experience two deaths. They're going to experience the physical death and the spiritual death. But the other thing it could probably be a reference to is the fact that, um, it could also mean that they are spiritually dead now, and they're going to be spiritually dead later for all eternity. Um, again, the thing about an uprooted tree is that it's not tethered to anything. And there, in this case, it's not tethered to Jesus or the gospel. Uh, number five talks about the sea. In the Old Testament, the sea is used as an illustration for chaos and evil. Um, fun fact, in Revelation 21.1, in the new creation, seas are no more. Uh, the wandering stars. I was wondering about this one. So the thing with the wandering stars is the idea here is that it's planets that seem to move in ancient times. Again, keep in mind, we're, this they don't have the same understanding of the, the heavens that we do. So they're speaking in their vernacular, and this is how they express these things. So the wandering stars, according to what, what I've been uh, studying, is that these are the planets that obviously with the change of seasons, kind of like the constellations, they, they change. So when you look at the skies, it doesn't always look the same. And that's the idea here is that the false teachers are unstable. And like the devil and his demons, they're hellbound. Again, not my words, Jude's words, very much like his big brother Jesus, who was the person who talked most about hell in the Bible. Um, remember, long ago from verse three, I believe this is where it's going to come into play more. Um, verses 14 and 15 are a quote from another one of those apocryphal books. It's, uh, that book is First Enoch 119, okay? Um, and while it's not a divinely inspired scripture, nothing in this quote actually goes against the, what, what the official Bible prophecies say anyways. If you think about it, if you compare it to what Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, anytime they wrote about the end times, 
nothing in this in this Enoch passage goes against what God has said in His Word. Why did Why did Jude use it? My answer is I don't know. The only thing I could think of is that perhaps it was a better known thing because it's you know it's all in one part. I I, I don't know. Um, what I do know is that it was known in first century Palestine, so the Jews were very familiar with it. Um, again, the, the, inter whoa, uh, the intertestamental Jews were familiar with it, and, and so there, there is that. And also, um, this, from what I've been researching, is that this was also the backdrop, probably, of Second Peter. Uh, first Peter dealt with uh, Christians uh, suffering, but Second Peter dealt about the, the eventual coming of, of false teachers. Um, and this happened decades before um, Jude came onto the scene. Now, um, just to keep things in perspective, I should have mentioned this earlier. Um, Peter may have been written somewhere in the mid 60s AD because he died, uh, I believe Nero died in 68 AD. So Peter had died under Nero. So that means that he had to have died earlier than that. And Jude seems to be a work that most date around 80 AD. So, you know, just a kind of thing. So in Peter, what's going on is Peter's warning, these guys are coming, these guys are coming. So Jude here, he's saying, they're here, they're here. So that's why um, Jude seems very similar and there's identical wording that people kind of, I've often made the connection that Jude must've been getting some of his intel from, from, from second Peter. Um, and um, like Hebrews earlier too, um, the thing with Jude is that it reads like a, a, a sermon transcript. Um, according to scholars and critics, it, it has, and I quote, rhetorical sophistication. So that means that this, and I could see Jude working definitely more along those lines because it's a very short book, you know, so it, it's like the transcript of a sermon. So, you know, when you're doing a sermon or a lesson, generally, you don't stop to put all your citations, oh, this came from here, this came from there, unless you're Scott Ziegler, that's another story. Um, but citing from these works is, is like a modern day teacher citing from, let's say, um, something like Pilgrim's Progress. I mean, you guys are familiar with Pilgrim's Progress or, or the Chronicles of Narnia. They're not divinely inspired, but they are Christian works. And sometimes you can even borrow from, from sources that are not necessarily at all Christian, but that, that speak truth. Um, uh, that happens in, in, in Acts uh, 17, 28. If you guys remember when Paul was in Athens, he, he quoted from a Cretan poet, uh, Epimedides, these Greek names are fun, Epimedides. So he's quoting Epimedides in the Bible. That's in Acts 17, 28. And then if you thought that was a one-time deal, he does it again in, in Titus 1, 12. So it's not uncommon to quote or to cite sources that are not necessarily biblical, but if they speak truth and they're accurate, they're, they're fair game. Um, so the point of that being is that truth outside the Bible is always sport and it's the truth within the Bible. And again, there's nothing, for instance, especially in the Enoch portion that contradicts anything. And going back to the assumption of Moses, is that true or was that done for effect? I don't know, 100%. Um, what I do know is, again, going back to Deuteronomy 34, he said that no human knew where it was. But the assumption of Moses is about angels knowing where the bones are. So, you know. I'm not going to go there. I just kind of wanted us to kind of get an, an idea of what, what was going on there. So he goes on to describe the false teachers again um, as that they're, again, that they're already here. They're divisive. They're selfish. They have no regard for God or, or anything spiritual. 
So, so what can we do to contend for the faith? Verses 20 to 21, um, I think, helps us with that. It says to first to build up in faith. Um, going back to, to verse 17, one of the things that Jude does is when he talks, he says, dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus foretold. In other words, he's telling you, remember scripture. Because when you refer to what the apostles' teachings were, they were already within the time that they were writing these letters in the New Testament, they were already referring to themselves as scripture. Uh, there's a passage where Paul's quoting an Old Testament portion, and then he's also quoting Luke, and he's calling it scripture. Peter calls the work of, of Paul, and he name drops him clearly, so there's no debate or controversy about it. Peter talks fondly about Paul, and, and, he, and he cites that as scripture. Mind you, you would think that there would be a beef between Peter and Paul because uh, in Galatians, Paul called out Peter. No, these are brothers in the faith and they knew and they cited from each other. Um, so we know that scripture is very important, okay, to build up the faith. The other thing it says, it says pray. And let's, let me, and it says pray in the spirit. And let me, let me be brought in here. There's no other praying for a Christian than praying in the spirit. When you're a Christian, anytime you pray, you are praying in the spirit. It's, it's, it's that simple. So that's kind of really reassuring to know. Um, when you read Romans chapter eight, it says that when we're praying, the Holy Spirit is right there alongside us as we pray and that the Holy Spirit is expressing the things that we, that we fail to express. I mean, man, that is awesome to know that even as we pray, we're always praying in the spirit and the spirit is expressing to God what we fail to express because the spirit knows both us and God. Um, he says to hang in there. Uh, and to trust in God's love, you know, and then fourthly, he says to wait, as that great, that late great theologian once said, the way he ate is the hardest part, Tom Petty, um, like the groove in the parable of the virgins, he's a comment, verse 22, false teachers, they're already here, again, keeps reemphasizing this stuff, as, as we contend for the faith, we need to remember that there are other non-believers also that that come to church so for for every non-christian the church is not a false teacher there are also doubters non-believers and and we need to remember that 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 these are people who are seeking and he tells us as far as in dealing with these doubters to win them over he says to snatch them away from the fires of hell because at the moment they're hellbound luckily there it doesn't seem like they're locked into their fate at least from our human perspective you know but these, the idea is that these doubters, we need to be merciful to them. Um, we need to be reverent to God. Um, we got to live as followers of Jesus. You want to talk about a real witness to them? We have to be followers of Jesus in, in the confines of the church. You know, we can't be divisive people in the confines of the church. We can't be argumentative. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything that everybody says. But we should definitely always be merciful, which, which is, uh, again, when you look at the greeting, it starts off with mercy. Uh, again, respect for God and Christian living. We live in holiness. Uh, and to close this off, we have this beautiful doxology. Okay, And in this beautiful doxology, it, it is comfort to know that God will see us through our salvation. As he asks us to contend for the faith, to build up ourselves spiritually. And to help others to, to come to faith, God is assuring our salvation every step of the way, past, present, and future. Dear friends, I, I love that. I, I just can't get over it. Dear friends, this should produce worship for God in you. Uh, verse 25, 
to our only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. And again, I say, amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. Thanks for listening. With that, we conclude the class and we can open up for discussions and, and maybe I can catch up with the chats. So, whoops. Hello, are we still there? I disappeared there for a moment. All right, sorry. The fat fingers at work over here. Are we all good? Did I pass the auditions? Yes. <laughs> all right, cool. Good. Uh, good job. Thanks, thanks. Good. I'm going to look at the chat, but if you guys want to beat me to it and, and say your comments or ask the questions, that would be helpful because I lost track of where we were on the chats. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see thumbs up. Okay. Um, I think everybody was, was really just listening to how you were teaching. Yeah. There weren't a lot of comments in the chat. Yeah. No, I, I, I saw some, I mean, there's good comments here. As far as referring him to Judas, yeah, definitely from our, our Christian worldview perspective, Judas does have that really negative connotation. It's kind of like naming a kid Adam these days. Not a very popular thing. Um, yeah, but I mean, again, the, the point being is that that is his name in the Greek. Um, but you can see why, why the, the uh, Bible translators and people who actually put the Bibles together decided, let's just call him Jude instead. Okay. And yeah, blemishes are also imperfections of the skin. Um, so yeah, and then shalom is peace. Uh, is there any other questions or comments regarding this book? I, I know I kind of went by a little fast and, and I just want to make sure that we all feel like we had a pretty good understanding of it. Yeah. Is there anything that was kind of more doubtful about anything? No, I think that it's, you really showed us that, um, it's like, especially referring back to these apocryphal, but old books mm -hmm. that, um, that it was prophesied that these evil false teachers would be present and they would be in the church. Yeah. And I think that's really good to know that, um, that everybody who's in the church isn't necessarily on the same path that we want to be on right and, and that's so what jude seems to be saying here and you made that very clear yeah. said be aware these guys are bad <laughs> yeah yeah and, and you know the thing with jude is, is he's very much like jesus and and like his other brother james you know when, when i've read james i always feel like james comes across pretty heavy-handed but he speaks truth you know and, and if you and the people that talk about jesus being this kumbaya love, love me too kind of guy, which Jesus is a love, loving guy. But if, if the, obviously they only read half of what he wrote because the other part of it is he's, he's very heavy handed. In fact, you know, when, when people talk about things like, um, there are certain things where Jesus is actually harsher, it seems, than the way Jehovah's even portrayed in the Old Testament with some of his condemnations, you know, you know hey, and, me, and he's just in what he's saying. So I'm not, I'm not going to dispute Jesus. If, if people really look at Jesus, Jesus, again, speaks truth. He does it with love so often. But there comes a time where he has to tell it as it is. Again, nobody speaks about hell more in the Bible than Jesus. Good stuff. Anybody else? Lynn, there's the question of um, you know, how do you reconcile certain parts of this? You have verse 12, of course, where 
you know, these false teachers are polluting your fellowship, basically. So the, yeah. the, the obvious result would be ostracism. Get these people out of here. And then near the end of the book, he talks about showing mercy to others. And yeah. um, it's like, where do you know who to throw out yeah. and who to bring back? Yeah, it is really tough stuff to uh, to reconcile there because, yeah, I mean, sometimes, um, you know, it's hard to tell the difference, you know, how do you know if it's a, a, a person, we can't read the hearts and minds of people. And I think that that's just something where we, we just need to be very prayerful and obedient and always like whenever we move, we try to do things in the church in a consensus where I think that in the Christian community, one of the things one of the key purposes of the church is to do things as a group, never as kind of this, this lone ranger type. I, I think in, in Acts chapter one, when they were uh, speaking of the other Judas, the, uh, the, the betrayer, um, and they were seeking his replacement. You notice it wasn't like somebody said, you know, well, Peter named this guy, this guy will be the, the guy. They prayed about it. And all they did was came up with a, with a criteria that they thought sounded right. And they prayed about it. And, and then they cast lots. And, uh, and, and to me, that shows that, you know, the humanity, kind of a merger of the humanity and divine and, and how God will still get his will, will across and being able to identify, in this particular case, in Acts chapter one, identify who would be the replacement apostle. But in our context, how do we recognize these false teachers from somebody that's, that's kind of learning and growing and, and hasn't quite gotten it yet? And, and you also got me thinking about um, First Corinthians where, where we have the... Uh, the, the guy that's sleeping with his stepmother, you know, and you're talking about this almost sounds like he could be one of these would be false teacher types. And yet we see that in first Corinthians, the idea is to basically ostracize him, but with the intention of restoring him. So yeah, there, there's a lot of that. that it's one thing what, what is written and said, and then kind of, you know, you, you read the instructions of something kind of like when I was trying to set up the, uh, the zoom meeting right now. So I'm like, Okay, I got the Zoom email on my phone, and for some reason, I tried to transfer it to my laptop to get the instructions, and I couldn't do it. So I had to kind of handwrite it later somewhere so that way I could follow it along. And the point being is that it, you know, you, when you're doing it and having it written, there are two different things. And yeah, no, it, it is a very difficult thing to to see sometimes how to deal with these false teachers. Um, I think we've been fortunate at the bridge that we really haven't had at least in the time I've been there, experiences with these guys. I think the bridge does a really great job of, um, of, of um, safeguarding and watching. And I think that, you know, that, you know, praise to God for that. And it kind of kudos to our elder board because they, they really do a good job of, of not letting just anybody uh, preach or teach. And I think that that's how the bridge does a good job of, of um, safeguarding that the doctrine is sound. Anything else, guys? Daniel, oh, Daniel had a really good text here, or in the chat, he wrote, Jesus loved the lowly sinners, but hated yeah. the proud Pharisees. Jesus was a friend to the poor, the widows, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes, but had constant conflicts with the Pharisees. Yeah, that's so true. And here's the other thing, too. You, you did have those Pharisees or, or high-ranking members that, for instance, like Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea, who basically were favorable of Jesus. So it's like, again, Jesus, if you, if you want to come to him, he'll take you in, you know, <laughs> he's, he's got open arms. And yeah, even if the majority of the Pharisees were against Jesus, if any 
Pharisee was willing to be open-minded and repent, he took, he embraced them. You know, that just to kind of not put a blanket thing, you know, um, because again, yeah, it was, again, but it was a great point that Jesus was making. I'm, I'm going for, for people that are ostracized. I'm going for the outcast, you know, the misfits, if you will, you know, and, and that's a great, great comment there. Anything else, guys? We'll talk about, you know, um, Hootie House and, you know, how to do that. Well, I went to church one time where they had this one couple that was actually coming in and splitting the church apart. Oh. And um, they both end up leaving. Well, she left first. Well, with all this going on, trying to split the church apart, and we were trying to reconcile with them, trying to get things back together. Well, she got mad because she wasn't voted back in on one of the committees that she was on. And she just left the church. Mm -hmm. And then he left shortly after that. So I think a lot of this, you know, that, you know, if, mm -hmm. I think they would have been, if they didn't leave, I think they would have been ousted because they were causing the problems in the church and stuff. And so in that case, you know, you, you know that, you know, you don't want them there. Yeah, not for sure. And, you know, sometimes. And like, like I said, we kept, after they left, well, of course, we, we, you know, kept praying for them, you know, seeing, mm -hmm. you know, and hoping that they would, you know, see their wrongdoing and confess. Well, um, like I said, I haven't seen him since, so I don't know if they ever did or not, but, you know, well, he, he died. Yeah. A year or so back, but, um, but I don't yeah. know if she ever, you know, confessed to what she had done. So. Yeah. I mean, all we can do while they're still on this side of the eternity is pray for that. They're not those people and that God will, again, we don't know their hearts and mind. And it's, it's, uh, I saw a chat really quick pop up, you know, the nice thing is that, that God does know who they are. Yeah. And, and that's the beautiful thing. Um, and again, we, we deal with these things as best as we can, again, dependent on the spirit. But one of the things I've noticed, again, is that the spirit does work well or, or works in, in, in any way when it's like more of us gathered than less of us. And there's something about the spirit using the unity of us as believers to, to help us to, to get to truth, you know. And, it, and if you look at it, that's been the history of the church. You know, when there were challenges from people about, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit early on, you know, uh, you know, the, the, um, the Arian heresy and uh, the Pelagius heresies, you know, it's the church community coming together uh, and, and, and having councils where they dealt with a lot of these, these, uh, the Sibelius um, heresies, you know, that the church was able to deal with them. And then even, like I said, that's on, on, on a big, broad the, the church history, but then also like in the local churches, you know, God, again, in the bridge, I, you know, I can say that I've seen the elder board at work in the sense that, again, they really safeguard that. I haven't heard a, a single heretical sermon since I've been at the bridge. I know, and I'm not to say that I know it all, you know, but I know enough to know that I haven't heard a single uh, bad, blasphemous sermon at the bridge. I've heard things that I'm maybe not 100% in agreement with, but I have not heard um, anything that that has been contrary to the gospel message. And I think that that's a really good thing to have in a church, you know, and again, members contributing that, that that's a big part of it. Anything else guys? Nick, can you, would you mind going into, and maybe I missed it when you were talking about it, but just, can you talk a little bit more about verses 22 and 23, how he's talking about the three different yeah. people or three different types yeah mercy to have right and i think here he's talking about a group of people because again the church is going to have different kinds of people uh it says to those who are in doubt 
because if you notice with when he's talking about the false teachers, he's very specific about saying these people, these people, these people. If you notice, um, as we read the text, he always says these people. Here, he's not referring to them as these people. In other words, it's a different group of people. Now, they're not the dear friends like us, the Christians. So he's talking here about, I believe it's a different group of people because he's using a different wording here. This is be merciful to those who doubt. Um, this could very well be people who are probably not, you know, not saved, or it could even be weak Christians for that matter. Uh, it, it would seem to be more the, the, the unsaved because the idea is that we're snatching them from the fires, uh, from, uh, from, from the fire, basically the hell. Uh, to show, so we need to show them mercy. In other words, you know, it's kind of like what what Peter says about when we witness to people outside of the church, when we when when we defend the faith. Because remember, the whole point here is we're defending the faith. The only difference is one's inside the church and the other one's outside the church. So when he talks about defending the faith, he says to do it with with gentleness, right? He says to do it with gentleness, and it's the idea of you know being humble, you know, and respectful. And again, the idea here is you know when you talk about being merciful, you're talking about being humble and respectful to people. You know, the idea is we want to we want to win them. It's like Paul said, I become all things to all, all, all men so I can win some. You know, we, we, we are courteous. We, we are we do what we have to do so that the gospel shines and, 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 and we take a backseat and let the gospel come to the forefront. So being merciful allows for the gospel to come to the forefront. Um, and again, the idea is we want to snatch other people. And is it mixed with fear? Fear is always a, a synonym or usually I should say a synonym for reverence to God. Um, and, and hating, you know, again, the idea that we don't want to be evil in our practices like the people that he was talking about earlier. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. Good stuff. Any other questions, guys? And in verse six, um, wouldn't those be the angels that followed Satan, the third of the angels that followed Satan? That's one of the, the, the possible interpretations. So I was looking at several commentaries. Mm -hmm. um, the, and I think personally, I think that it's the angels that, that follow Satan. Now, what kind of got me doubtful were two things. One of those things, and if you guys remember when we were studying Hebrews, you notice how in the early chapters, there was a big portion of that devoted to the topic of angels, the discussion because it was a big deal to first century Jews, the topic about angels. And like I said, even though I thought, I, 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 my gut tells me it's those angels that, that you said, Sherry, the thing that, that kind of got me doubting was I heard of a very uh, reliable, first of all, most commentators say it's the, uh, the Genesis six sons of God, most commentators. Most doesn't mean they're right. It just means it's something to consider. Um, and, and big names too, you know, people who I do respect. So it's not like not only was the majority on the side that it's the Genesis six angels, but also one who I kind of gave more particular uh, scholarly, uh, you know, uh, like, okay, this guy has a, a pedigree that I think, you know, after the way he explained it um, and he used various first century uh, reference points about how big a deal angels were to the first century Palestinian Jews. Then it kind of got me like, huh, Initially, I wasn't even going to mention the Genesis 6 angels, but then I prayed about it and I said, you know what, I should just include it. And again, I leave some of that for you guys to think about and mull over. I think it's the third that fell with Satan, personally, but I could be wrong. And I want to state that I could be wrong, especially when, when I consider some of the other people 
However, that said, the Moody commentary agrees with us, Sherry. So. Because you says, you know, because it says with everlasting change for judgment on that great yeah. day. Yeah. You know, so, I, I think so too. A, that wording also kind of has me agreeing and thinking that, but I'm just kind of doubting myself a little bit just because, again, some of the big names that think it's the Genesis 6 variety. But, you know, like it says, it's one of those that I don't think I need to know the answer 100%. I believe that the original audience, I think one of the cool things that Joel has always said when he does these lessons is scripture wasn't written to us, but it was preserved for us. So part of the thing with Jude is that we've lost some of the elements of who it was written to, but they knew. And it was more important for them to know that than for us to know it. That said, though, enough of it has been preserved so that we are on the watch out for false teachers. We get the just the main point of what he's trying to get across here. And I think that's kind of the, that's my key takeaway from that passage. Anybody else? I mean, this is pretty cool. I, mean, I think uh, everybody's talking on this one. <laughs> I really liked your, your quote at the beginning um, that when you said like grace is, is a freedom from sin, not the freedom to sin. Yeah. I just wanted to yeah. drop a mic. Right when you said that. <laughs> it was really good. I probably would have seen it afterwards, not during the lesson though. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so but it, it, powerful. It's true. You know, we are freed from sin. The idea is that sin is no longer our master. Um, so what sin has in our life is, is just a, a, a strong persuasive presence. But as, as Paul has very well written it and, and, and covered, sin is no longer our master. We are free. You know, we are free to do whatever. But here's the beautiful thing is we, we are also free not to do things. You know, and we, we, we have the freedom to no longer be tied down to sin. I mean, a lot of it is just us constantly seeking God out. I mean, and that's what we need to do. Again, in Jude's exhortation here, build, build you guys selves up, in, you know, spiritually, you know, we need to build ourselves up spiritually. Again, how do we do that? We turn to the word. As you guys mentioned earlier, Daniel and Sandy, we, 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 we God knows our hearts and we just got to be humble when we come to him. Because sometimes let's be honest, we don't come to him as humbly as we should. I mean, praise God that the spirit is, is in the, in our prayers and that kind of makes up for you know, our, our full pause along the way, but we, you know, we got to come to him humbly and God. Yes. That's a great passage right there. I am no longer a slave to sin, you know, and thanks Daniel. Um, and yeah, you know, God is, is, is doing it. I am a child of God and we, you know, we gotta, we gotta stick to our main identity and that is that we are children of God. Um, the verse that actually led me to Christ is John 1 12, you know, to those who receive him, to those who believe in his name. He gave them the right to be called children of God. That's what led me to the Lord. I'm kind of that, that odd child that wasn't led by John 3.16, but hey, still John reference. So there you have it. Oh man, this has been uh, really good. Is there anything else, guys? I don't want to leave unless you guys uh, are all good and golden about it. I, I think that was like a really interesting point that um, that you brought up about how it's we don't go to God. Well, I, I can speak for myself. I don't want to speak for anybody else on the Zoom, but it's that sense we need to remind ourselves or I need to remind myself that that it's a freedom from sin. And it's, I think of how the devil tries to twist that in our minds and how even in the Garden of Eden, he, he mm -hmm. would twist that message to Adam yeah. and Eve. And then when they did sin, instead of going right to God, it's like they were hiding. 
And I find that with myself, that, that that's that temptation, like Satan will twist something in my head, well, you can't go to God now. And it's like, that's exactly where I should go. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Got to jump on, on what is it? Uh, Romans 8.1. There's yeah. no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hold on to that strongly every time. I'm going to tell you this, that Romans chapter eight, is, it's got to be one of the top 10 chapters of the Bible for me, you know, especially when I had my fallen period, that passage, you know, that uh, along with, with, with nothing could separate us from the love of God. Yes. You know, at a time when, when, when I was, uh, when I was in a, in a real bad place, that passage, that was my prodigal son saving passage, you know, and I mean, the, the, it's like it says in, in the early part of the book you know, the gospel, I mean, it, it is dynamite for salvation, you know, I mean, it is powerful to save, you know, and, 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 I, and I'm, and that's why I'm not ashamed of the gospel, you know. All right, guys, anything else? Thank you for that word, Ruth. All right, Absolutely, cool. I'd cling to it regularly. <laughs> yes, amen to that. All right, anything else? Any last parting words, guys? A very good job. Really thanks, thanks, Jerry. Thank it means you. a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thank thanks, everybody. Thank um, guys, thanks for doing what you guys did. Thanks for being patient with me. Mm -hmm. Thanks for even sticking around for the, the after show special, I guess we'll call it. <laughs> um, so take, so we'll, I, we'll I, say you in time, Joe needs to take a break and you want to take over. We'll let you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. That does mean the world to me. Uh, no, I, I'm really grateful to God for this because I'll. Honestly, I was like very nervous. I started getting the, uh, I never used to get, when I used to teach in, the, in my young and dumb days, I didn't get the whole butterfly effect in the stomach. But now as an old man, you, where I actually know more and I'm wiser and whatever, I actually get it more than before. So it's kind of a weird thing. I was more confident teaching when I was in my 20s and 30s than I am now, go figure. Well, I remember hearing um, Pastor Scott teach one time though, and he said, he still feels sick to his stomach every time he gets up on the stage. He's and, and I think he said any pastor who's worth their salt, they still feel that onus on them that they're they're preaching God's word. And so I don't think that's a bad yeah. sign. I think that's no. a really good sign that you take it that seriously. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, no, I, I, it's just uh, kind of funny because I used to make fun of Scott for saying that. And then when I started teaching, I started like, oh, man, now it's happening to me. <laughs> And I remember on my car rides to the Wednesday nights, because while Joel taught at Ranchers, I taught in the Splains. And on the car ride, my kids are like tired of hearing it every time I drove. I was dropping them off for uh, their MSM and HSM, and I was going to teach a master class in another room. And they're like tired of hearing me every week. You're saying that you're feeling sick to your stomach. Yeah, but I thank God because uh, I think he's teaching me humility along the way. So, I was just going to say that, Goldie. Older get the more you you learn about God and get closer to God. I um, you it's I want to say it it you're you're more humbled and stuff than when you yeah. were in a younger age and you weren't and you weren't as cautious as you are now preaching. Yeah, I, I think that plays a lot. The 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 older I've gotten, I feel like it's like I I, I feel less worthy, but I'm more grateful. If that makes any sense, I feel less worthy as I realize, wow, the depths of what God has saved me from. But I become more grateful because then I think, wow, the depths of what God saved me from. It's, it's just kind of really mind blowing when you think about it. 
All right, then. Um, if not, uh, I would like to say to everybody, good night. God bless. Thank you guys for being a great audience. You guys were slow, too. All right. And with that, um, we'll be closing off. Good night, everybody. Thank you.